0: Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbine, community based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices.
1: And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth.
0: Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is, is a Soulfire Soul Fire production. production. Good morning.
1: Oh, good morning, Stu.
0: Brain freeze. Well, you know what? It's so early that we forgot to hit the record button. So we've been talking for five minutes and, and we forgot to re- hit record. So let's hit record. We, yeah, we. We.
1: Well, all right.
0: That happens when we meet before eight o'clock in the morning. That's right. Okay. So just a couple of quick things we're going to uh, talk about today before we bring on our very special guest, which I'm very excited about. You're very excited about.
1: I am.
0: Our listeners will be very excited about. Um, this was my birthday week. Uh, I know by the time this comes out, my birthday will be a distant memory, but I really had a great birthday week. And I want to say thank you to everybody who sent me messages through all the different social platforms and stuff like that. You know, I, I don't respond to everything like that. But I, I really do appreciate getting these messages. Some of them, you took the time to actually make heartfelt statements and not just emojis, but I appreciate the emojis just as much. So. Thank you all for giving me a great 66th birthday.
1: Yay. Happy birthday again, Stu. You're so loved.
0: Do you have any uh, updates on your status? What's going on with you?
1: Um, I am wrapping up my Sacramento month with my sons and I'm heading back to be on call in Santa Barbara for some great clients. And, um and then in September, we're doing another Innate Journey birth workers retreat. So anybody who's feeling called to work with me and Hayes um, in a beautiful place, check it out on my website.
0: Okay. Well, I did not have a birth this week either because I'm not on, on my birthday yeah. week. But uh, Lindsay, our guest from a recent podcast and also Dr. Flores, had a beautiful home vertex, vertex, twin deliver, twin water birth delivery that they posted about. And of course, as you know, Lindsay always looks beautiful in her pictures. (laughs) And once again, she looked beautiful in her pictures. I don't know what time of day it was, but it doesn't really matter with our friend, Lindsay. That's true. Um, (laughs) And I I talked to Dr. Flores about the birth and she says she learned something new from Lindsay. And I think Lindsay might've discussed this when, when she was on the podcast, but she says that she uses leg massage to prevent postpartum hemorrhage. Have you heard of that? Yes. And to hasten the third stage.
1: Yeah. And to well, I don't know about hasten. She just says that she massages their legs um, with an essential oil to kind of keep your hands busy so that you're not so focused on that. And you are just being with the mama and letting the physiologic process happen.
0: Yeah. Hasten was a uh, was the word that Dr. Flores used. And it's one of those things where where you're yeah, right. We won't really we want it to come naturally.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but sometimes those of us in the medical world get stuck with certain terms that just stick in our heads. And we and you have been working hard on me to get rid of a lot of them. And I've lost some of them, but they still come out once in a while.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then I have follow up on one patient we talked about, one client we talked about <laughs> a couple podcasts ago. It was a a home water birth. It was her second baby. It was one of those things where I get to be at a multips water birth home. And that was sort of fun. Um, We did the newborn screen on the baby. And the baby came back with something called glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenous deficiency or G6PD Mm
1: -hmm. deficiency.
0: And um, it's an X-linked recessive trait. It's almost always in boys because it's X-linked, like hemophilia. Mm -hmm. But they had a girl and it's not it's rare in girls but they had a girl and it's really interesting because their first baby was born at 35 weeks and had very severe jaundice and was in the NICU under the billy lights uh, I think for a long time and I think the baby was in the NICU maybe up to 10 days if I remember correctly um, so G6PD deficiency however is causes hemolytic disease of the newborn and often causes very high bilirubin so when you have a baby that's doesn't have another reason for having hyperbilirubinemia like RH incompatibility or AB even ABO incompatibility, which this baby did not. It's one of those things that you should suspect. And of course, I've only seen it twice in my in 40 years. Wow. And um, so that explains why this baby ended up getting drawn. on day two, the baby's bilirubin was 16. And we had somebody locally, Amy, who um, has portable Billy lights. Our portable billy lights were being used by other people or were unavailable. So we had uh, Amy come and check her Billy Rubens and give her her Billy lights and keep her at home. And it was great because the baby got to stay at home with mom and dad and didn't have to go to the hospital. And it's great. And so I asked them if they did a newborn screen on their first kid. And they said, we don't know. Because it was born in 35 weeks. It was in the NICU. I, they don't even know if it was done.
1: I'm sure it was.
0: I'm sure it was. Yeah. But it's interesting that the parents don't have any recollection of that. So it's a yeah. typical thing that might go on at the hospital where they do stuff and don't tell the hospital what they're doing.
1: The, the parents. Yeah. One hundred percent. That's very common, actually.
0: Yeah. So anyway, I just thought that's interesting. People, uh, if your baby is excessive, excessively jaundiced, especially if it's a boy and there's no explanation. Um, it's One of those reasons why maybe doing the newborn screen is a good idea.
1: Yeah. I've only had one uh, positive result as well. I mean, I, I don't have a 40 year career like you do in testing babies, but um yeah, it's not they're rare, but when they come up, um there it, it is important information. So thanks for sharing that.
0: All right. So I'm gonna our let our I'm gonna, I'm gonna let our guests in. Yay! Okay? And I'm gonna introduce them. Uh everybody knows who they are anyway, but I'm gonna introduce introduce them. Um uh we have Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein joining us today. Um, so that's exciting for both Liz and I for a long we've had we've known them for a really long time and i just want to read a little bit they sent me these bios and if i was reading their whole bios it would take up the entire podcast so i'm not I know, gonna, I saw
1: how long they i'm were. not
0: i'm not gonna do that so i i took out my yellow highlighter like Liz knows i like to do and i'm gonna just read some highlights of their bios
2: thanks hi, for doing. hi it. guys hi hi so i'm a were little you, red i look like a tomato because i had a face peel yesterday so forgive wh- me
0: where are you both
2: <clears throat> i'm in malibu And Abby's in New York City.
0: Ah, okay, okay,
1: Yeah, nice. The first time, guys. This is the first time I think that we've done two guests in different locations. It's really fun for us.
0: Wow. Yeah, don't confuse me. (laughs) (laughs) And it's (laughs) early for us, California people. So,
1: where are you?
2: Wait, I know, I know. Bliss is in Santa Barbara, right? Santa Barbara area. Uh, I'm in Sacramento
1: right now, and Steve's in Los Angeles. Okay, got it. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. I'm just a stone's throw from you, Ricky. over the, I'm just over the hill. Okay. All right. So let me just give a little introduction because not that you need one, but I think it's important. So, Ricky Lake, from acting and producing to dancing your way into the hearts of television audiences, Ricky Lake is a pop icon. At age 24, Ricky became the, one of the youngest daily talk show hosts in history with the debut of The Ricky Lake Show. She also co written two books um, Your Best Birth and Never Say Never Finding Life That Fits, which is an inspiring memoir. Which I have not read, which I will because I didn't know you wrote this book
2: yeah, except my the chapter that happened after I wrote the book that my life these days is so much even better than it was when I wrote that ten years ago
0: well are you' gonna are you gonna release like a uh, like a second edition An amendment. Uh,
2: <laughs> uh, no i don't I don't think I don't think so not now no
0: all right well you also released a four part dVD series called more business of being born, and that one I know because I think I'm in one of the, on one of the discs, which was- Yeah, amazing.
1: The Sanctuary was in that one. Yep. And Alex, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And served as uh, executive producer of, of The Business of Being Born, which is often hailed as the must-see film of mother, among mothers-to-be. At least in our community, <laughs> it's hailed that way. Um Agreed. In recent years, Ricky Lake has channeled her nurturing spirit and drive for social change into passion projects, serving as a leading voice for crucial issues such as women's rights and informed choice within reproductive health. Welcome, Ricky, mm,
2: great. and
0: Abby. Abby Epstein made her film directing debut in 2004 Sundance Film Festival with the documentary "V Day Until the Violence Stops," receiving both an Emmy and a Gracie Award. In 2007, she teamed up for the first time, I think, with Ricky for their widely acclaimed documentary "Business of Being Born," which premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. The film's success led to their following up series, "More Business of Being Born." Plus a book, Your Best Birth. Uh, Next, the duo teamed up for Weed the People. And under their company, The Business of Being Born Films, or Bob Films, Abby and Ricky produced the documentaries Breast Milk, The Mama Sherpas, and The Business of Birth Control, which is kind of what we're going to spend some time. Well, we're going to touch on all this if we have time today. So let's get right into it. So welcome, Abby. Welcome, Ricky. It's good to see you guys.
2: So great to see you both. I I don't think I,
0: Abby, I don't think I've seen you since we had dinner one night with a bunch of your luminary people in Manhattan. When I was there years ago, when Eden Fromberg was there and um, I don't, I don't know if you, you probably don't remember, but it was, it's been a long time.
1: Abby, I think you're on mute, babe.
3: Oh, I'm muted. Yes. I remember.
1: I'm like, we'd like to hear you. That's why we have you on.
3: So <laughs> sorry.
0: So, so guys, tell tell us a little bit about you know because our listeners, are, everybody knows who you are, but tell us a little bit about again the backstory of how this all started and why the business of being born was born.
1: I can't believe it was 2007.
0: Well, it was probably okay. 2000. How old is Mateo now?
3: It's, yeah, it was 2008, actually. So it, Tribeca Film Festival was 2007, but 2008, February, was the big, like, Netflix premiere. Um, and Mateo just turned 16, and he Yay. was about, what was he, like, eight months old at the Tribeca premiere? Right. Wow.
0: Yeah, and, and, was was fil- and you've been filming for, like, a year or two before that, too, right? Oh, it's yeah.
2: Your- Three and a half years. Yeah. yeah. So my yeah. son, Owen, who's born in the movie, he just turned 21.
0: Holy Wild. moly. So Wild. you were, yeah, so you were filming for, since 2001, you were No, filming. no, because
2: Owen's, Owen's footage was old, like. Oh. He was already, he was it's like three, three and a half when we started filming. Yeah. When it was like started- 2004, right, Ricky? Like mm-hmm. 2004 was when
3: we like started, but we spent a year you know, pitching this around to all these different networks and almost making it with discovery health.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, you know, before everybody realized what we were doing <laughs> and then they were like, Oh no, no, no. I don't think we'll be airing this.
0: <laughs> really? So you got, you got canceled before canceling was a thing.
3: We got pushed back. Oh, time. not only did we get canceled. This was my favorite line. When I went down to discovery health in like, they had some headquarters in DC and I showed them like the trailer we were working on. And literally they looked at me, I am not lying. And they said, you know, we can't indict the medical industrial complex in any way. And I was like, Oh, well, that's like kind of our film. So it was just like the most awkward transparent. They just said it in the room. And I was like, Okay. And so then they, you know, they came up with like budget issues and they had to release the project. But originally we were supposed to do the movie with Discovery Health and an eight part series called Manhattan Midwives. And we were going to follow all these midwives around in Manhattan. It was like a big package, but Discovery Health thought we were going to do like sort of a TLC, those old shows, like really beautiful, like water births with like huge disclaimers across the screen you know like that's that's what they thought we were maybe gonna do and being, like, uh,
0: being being your curious self you didn't investigate to them why first of all when you said that i i looked like that astonished emoji with my eyes pop, popping wide open um when you said that i don't know why i i'm surprised but i guess i i am surprised but we don't we don't mess with the medical industrial complex and and
3: indict they said we we cannot indict the medical industrial complex like we cannot criticize we cannot like and
0: you didn't ask did did you ask the the follow-up question which would be why
3: (laughs) we knew knew. i knew i knew because i was sitting with like their head of programming and marketing and like you know so is,
0: is it because they get their advertising money and stuff from big, big medicine? Is that what you're? Okay. All right.
2: The same theme goes along with the new film, the business of birth control. I could go on good morning America and the view and all these shows, but they won't show a clip of the film. They're happy to talk about my hair loss recovery or my new marriage, but they won't show anything about the film. They'll let me say a one liner about it, but they will not get into it because they're backed by big pharma. What the fuck? <laughs>
1: say that because it's a podcast
0: wow well i i want i mean i want you to know that in the last 48 hours i watched both your documentaries again oh my god (laughs) oh you know it it, i had had not seen business of being born for what 10 years 15 years i don't know when last time i saw it it was you maybe you had some gathering or premiere for it someplace here in los angeles i think we all got together for that um it holds
2: up doesn't it oh my
0: god my god it's 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 unfortunately completely still, it completely still, holds yeah. up. I again I do this, people can't see what I did, but I, I I took notes on that one and I took notes on the business of birth control yeah. because I really wanted to be up to date uh when so that we could dive into it a little bit. But we'll get to the business of birth control. But since we started with the business of being born, what was your inspiration for doing that? I mean, why why did you come from your background of entertainment and all that stuff? And how did you find Abby and then um, how did you decide that that was a topic you wanted to do?
2: Well, I mean, I do you know this story or am I telling you this fresh? You don't know how this happened?
0: I think I might have heard this story, but I'm sure that uh, 95%, I don't remember. Of, our, 95% remember. of our listeners have not heard this story.
2: So I, I was doing my talk show, the Ricky Lake Show in New York, living life. I was pregnant with my second child. I wanted a home birth. I was very much wanting a ex- different experience from my first birth, which was in the hospital. So I you know, I wanted to have that experience before I wanted to do a project about it. And then 9-11 happened. So 9-11 happened two months after my son was born in my apartment. I watched it unfold from my, my apartment building, saw the plane as it hit the building. I mean, the whole thing I saw firsthand. And wow. I think the combination of being like a hormonal, lactating new mama... And seeing like my and 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 so much was like giving birth in my apartment was like like sacred to me, my sacred space, felt so safe in my home, so empowered, and then thought the world was gonna end in that same space. And I think the combination of the two just made me want to do something with my name and my persona. I wanted to do a project where I felt like it could make a difference for people. And that, you know, I was so profoundly impacted by my birth experiences that I wanted to not only tell my story, but I wanted to explore birth in in the United States. I I just couldn't understand how and why my friends and colleagues and people I respected didn't seem to give a shit about how their babies were born. So that was how it started. And Abby and I had met doing the Vagina Monologue. She directed me. She was a th- She's a theater director and she directed me in that Off-Broadway production and we became friends. And so I, it, was, it was like a calling. After 9-11 and after you know, my experience of having my son, it was like a calling of wanting to do something about this subject. And so Abby came to visit me in LA in 2003. I'd just gotten getting divorced and starting this new life. And I was like, I have this idea. And I gave her Ina McGaskin's, uh the Spiritual midwifery. I gave her my nine hour home birth that I had never watched. It was just still in my camcorder in the on the little tape. And I gave her um, Robbie Davis Floyd's book, um, uh, America, what is it? Birth as an American Rite of Passage. Yes. And she took all that, went away for a week or two, and then came back and she goes, I think it's a doc. I think it's a doc. And I was like, let's go. And you know, I bought the camera equipment. Her boyfriend came on board as the cinematographer. And that's how it started. And it was just this journey. And what was so serendipitous is Abby getting pregnant halfway through the making of the film. And then we turned the cameras on her. And obviously what unfolds, uh, you know what unfolded with her and Matteo balanced the movie. You know yeah. it really, really did, and um, it's it's my it's my greatest work. Like honestly, it's the thing I'm most proud of of everything I've done in my 35 plus year career. It's the thing I think that's been most impactful, and I you know and it, yeah, we continue to be amazed at the impact it's had because that was not even the driving force. It was really about me needing to get this 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 message out you know and um it's been it's been an amazing ride
1: well the cool thing is is that you you know because i think that that, um dr stew and i are in that similar place in our lives where we're thinking like we want we want a piece of work that's going to really make an impact you know you get to this point in your life where you're like i'm not going to be here forever and what can i really do and so to to see that arc of the process of making that decision to actually having it make the impact. I'm getting a little teary-eyed, mm. actually. Um, the impact that this film has made, you know, what you guys did, it's um it's really massive. You know, there's so many mid we we would spend hours and hours as midwives and birth workers and doulas trying to convey what you guys put in that film. And now we can just say, have you seen the business of being born? Go see it. And then we can talk about that. I'm actually planning something in Santa Barbara, you guys, um, where we're going to screen the movie and do a Q and a afterwards, Ricky, if you came up, it would just make my whole day. But, um, Abby, of course you're welcome, but you're all the way in New York. So, uh, but you know, it's still making that impact. So just, I I, can, I can't imagine how fulfilling that is for you guys to know that the work that you put in was so much more than just an expression of your desire, but it's something that has rippled out and made such a huge impact. And so, anyway, I thank you both for that work because I I it's such an important piece of this the puzzle. And, and I
0: and I would add that that just about everybody that I see that comes in for consult has seen your film. And as it's motivated them. And I have a question for Abby that you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But when with Mateo, when you when you ended up with the C-section, was that because he was breached? Or was that because he was in trouble? Breach. Okay. And so.
3: it, was, it was actually like a super interesting moment because, and this was, we had a lot, we had like so many levels of controversy around the movie. Um. And, and there was the controversy of just the entire movie. (laughs) And then obviously Ricky as a public person, you know, sort of glorifying home birth and, you know, the AMA did not like that at all and, and came after us or tried to come after us. But then there was also within the medical community, like if we would screen at grand rounds, there would be huge debates over like my birth. And people would try to say that my midwife was negligent, that my OBGYN was negligent, that nobody caught the uh, growth restriction in the baby, that, you know, this, but like, there was just a lot of debate. And actually there were a lot of midwives who were nervous about the movie. And the truth is that, you know, I just like a lot of women, like I switched at, you know, I think maybe 32 weeks to a home birth. And, you know, it it was just the point that I switched. I think that it would have been caught at the next appointment with the midwife or the next appointment with the, you know what I mean? But the baby just went into labor. So that was really, there was a growth restriction, but we didn't know. And, um, and the, the, it was interesting. In the movie,
2: wait, Ab, in the movie, I say, wait a minute, you look really small. You're like, I'm the one that says. And that was a a lot of things that people said, even Ricky
3: knew it, even Ricky said, you know, something looks wrong. Like, why didn't your midwife catch this? Or, you know, why didn't your OBGYN, you know, catch this? And we tried to explain in the movie at the end, like we do have the OBGYN saying, this can be very hard. You know, this is sometimes, you know, missed. And, and I, and I don't think, um, Anyone was fault, but it was really interesting because Ricky was there. We showed up at the hospital, sort of crazy. It was like your classic crazy arrival, like six centimeters dilated, baby coming super fast. And there was a midwife in the OR and she said, you're fully dilated. The baby is right there. Because this is your third child, I am going to perform a vaginal breach delivery. And at that moment, I could have just stayed the fuck shut up. Mm. But I knew that ethically, I'm not going to have my kid come into the world on misinformation. I'm not going to put this woman's career, do you know what I mean, in jeopardy in any way. And I said, excuse me, I'm so sorry. This is actually my first. This isn't my third. And so then the whole room changed. And then it was like, nope, 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 you know, we have to, we, ha- we have to um, do a section. And then of course the baby came out at, you know, three pounds and that was all like a surprise. So I think, but I think that, you know, there's such a cynicism around, um, I'll actually tell you this, this was awful. We had an awful, awful screening when Dr. Moritz brought the movie um, into grand rounds at Mount Sinai, what is now Mount Sinai and Ricky's OBGYN was there. And, you know, we were shocked at the vitriol. We just, we both of us were stunned into silence on the podium. Like we kind of just walked out um, because there was so much mudslinging. And I remember during that screening, there's a line in the movie where Ricky and I are kind of talking about my birth. And I say, you know, look, I think He came the way he needed to come, but if he had come as a vaginal breach, you know, I think he, he would have survived. And the doctors in the room laughed, they laughed, they snarkily laughed at the screen at me Mm -hmm. as, you know, a young mother saying, I think my baby, you know, would have lived. (laughs) And it was just such a like telling moment. Yeah, you know,
0: you, you know what's really poignant about that is that I'm looking at it from my point of view, and obviously, you guys, if you follow me, you know yeah. that I'm a big supporter of vaginal of breech delivery, and actually, babies over 1500 grams, there's almost no morbidity whatsoever. Your baby was just over 1500 grams, and because I, I had to look it up, <laughs> I looked it up <laughs> yesterday. And um, when you're complete, when when ba- breeches are going that fast, um, that would have been a uh, you know, no one can save hundred percent, but I can tell you from my experience, which is vast, that that would have been a very easy vaginal delivery would have been better for you and better for the baby. But, uh, you know, the training isn't there and the fear is there and the fear overwhelms everything and they don't know what normal is. You point that out in your, in the film that they're in the residency program, there's no observation of normal birthing that, uh, they, when, when something goes wrong, they blame the woman and not the system. And, um, you know, they basically have changed over the last hundred years, the concept of what normal birthing is, but, but breach is a variation of normal. And when they go that fast and you brought your baby was, I think something about the feet. So it probably was complete breach. Those, those are the easiest ones to deliver. And, uh, you were that close to delivering and the midwife was that confident that you were going to deliver them. And suddenly they found out it was your first rather than your third. And that changed their mind. I mean, that's idiotic. And they're the ones that are sitting there laughing at you. So let's take a quick break from Ricky and Abby and talk a little bit about one of our favorite sponsors and one of my favorite words, Bamboobies.
1: Bamboobies. Tell us what you like
0: about Bamboobies.
1: Yeah, they're an amazing company. For one, they've been our sponsor for a long time. So who wouldn't love that? And um, they also are really committed to the comfort of mom and baby with their amazing eco-conscious line of products. So they use bamboo, which is a renewable resource. um, And they have these amazing heart-shaped reusable breast pads that I fell in love with when we had the Eco Boutique at the Sanctuary. And since then they've expanded their line to include so many wonderful things Sabs and teas and tank tops that are great for breastfeeding. So you should definitely go check it out and uh, buy some beautiful gifts for the next pregnant family that you're supporting or love.
0: Yeah, it makes a great gift. And and all you have to do is go to bamboobies.com and use the code word instincts. That's I N S T I N C T S. For those of you who don't know how to spell, which would be awful by now. And um, you get 25% off your purchase. So go to bamboobies.com. Use the code word instincts to get 25% off your purchase. Help support them so they support us. Thanks very much. Thanks, Bamboobies.
1: Thanks, Bamboobies.
0: I wish I would have been on that stage. I wish. (laughs) I I didn't know then what I know now. Yeah. But but, I mean, I knew some of it, but not all of it.
2: Do you practice differently now than 15 years ago? Oh, for sure. Wow.
0: I've been doing home birthing now for twelve years, and uh, you know I still look back. We talk about listen. I talk about this all the time. I look back at some of the things I used to do, like immediately cutting the cord and showing and showing the baby to the mother, and then walking it across the room and putting it down in the warmer. (laughs) God, how many times did we do that? Um, Yes, but they're the ones that need to be laughed at, and I I don't. I don't mean that in. uh, uh, I'm just. I'm just taking their own medicine and giving it back to them. All right. No, no one needs to be laughing here. They're laughing almost because they're so uncomfortable. It's a form of cognitive dissonance to make make you the villain so they don't have to feel bad.
1: Well, and the other thing that I was going to say about that is that they don't have, like you were saying, you have this experience of watching all of these vaginal breach deliveries over and over and over again. They don't have that exposure just like a lot of the nurses and residents have never seen a natural physiologic birth. And so when you don't see those things and you read these books and you hear these scary stories just like you know a lot of the culture right now what we hear when we talk about birth is what hospital birth looks like and those are the stories that are getting passed down. We're not hearing mm. stories of normal physiologic birth because Home birth is still less than 2% around the country. So, you know, it's, it doesn't excuse their behavior at all, but it goes a little bit into the psychology of, of why there's such um, cognitive dissonance because there's just not that exposure. And I really do believe that if we had a system that really worked, which yeah. our system is so broken yeah. that, you know, these nurses and these residents would would attend home births. Just to see, because then they would see something that would start to open their minds as to what's happening in the hospital is not the only way. And unless you're, you know, if you're not exposed to those things, just like racism and, and you know, sexism and all of that stuff. If you're not exposed to people who can open your mind or experiences that can open your mind, you just see one thing. And, oh, that's
2: perspective. and I think that's one of the most important things about the film. The most powerful thing, I think, is the images that women get to see. That they never imagined was possible, you know
0: I would say also that that they think that the film is biased because they they have a jaded eye, but looking at it from a position of being an expert in hospital birthing and home birthing over these years you you guys gave a very fair representation of what hospital birthing was like and what home birthing was like. And that also makes them uncomfortable. I know that in the uh, documentary that Elliot Berlin put together called uh, "Heads Up: The Disappearing Art of Breach Delivery," um, there's a there's a side by side at the end where the there's a home breach birth and a C-section breach a uh, C-section birth going out at the same time. And we 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 um, took it to Kaiser and we showed it to Kaiser and the residents loved it and the attendings criticized it as being you know uh, unfair and um, and uh, I can't think of the word but know mm. sort of biased or whatever um but it was the nicest c-section you could possibly have and they still thought it was unfair to put them side by side you guys i mean you did a really I, good job with that i mean I, they, and they, I, they,
3: yeah and i i was gonna say also i think the other thing in the movie and we also just watched it again um because we did a double feature premiere of uh, both of the movies together so we saw it also like on the big screen and we're kind of like whoa this movie was like really out there it's still you know like but um i think what changed a lot in the culture was the idea of intervention people did not understand intervention and the cascade and even just now i haven't thought about this in a while but just talking about my birth you know they gave me a drug to stop the labor because everything was moving so fast. My OB wasn't at the hospital yet. They didn't know what was happening, you know, and that's when like the midwife was there and they were just trying to get like sorted. but they did give me that drug that stopped the contractions like cold, right? Now, like you were saying, Stu, if they hadn't given me that drug, nothing could have kept that baby in. I'll tell you that right now. And, you know, that midwife would have been there and I wouldn't have said first child, third child. I would have just said, like, you know, this baby's coming. And the other thing, but what you said about the side by side and I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. But, you know, like for me, switching to do a cesarean at that moment, an emergency cesarean. Um, it was a difficult delivery. And my doctor, Dr. Moritz, had a difficult time getting the head. Through the incision, and you can hear on the tape he's going more nitro, more nitro. Did you give her nitro? More nitro. The incision was, you know, and that because the baby was growth restricted, right? The body pops out, and then the head is bigger. So he was still doing essentially, you know what I mean, maneuvers to 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 get the head out. And so I don't really even, un, you know, it, it's just it's so much about control, like. It's so much about them controlling the natural process, you know, and 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 I think that that's the big thing that the movie enlightened so many, I would say, fathers, mothers, you know, about is just beyond the sort of home birth out of hospital birth. Right. Question, because we know that still kind of a a smaller segment, a very small segment, right, of the population. But for the general, like, hospital-going population, um, I mean, I think that film, that's why it continues to be this huge awakening. And it's not a film that you say to somebody, oh, you want to have a home birth? Watch this film. It's like, no, no, no. Oh, you're having a a baby? Oh, you watch this film, you know, because it really wakes you up to that intervention um cascade
1: did you guys coin that phrase cascade of interventions was that you
3: no robbie i think it was robbie i think we yeah robbie oh, Davis Floyd. Floyd. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah yeah oh it's in her oh, book yeah because yeah. yeah. it's such a it's such a term that's used so frequently now
3: well was it eugene Declerc? i don't know i don't want to be crediting No, he was
0: he, <laughs> he was great in the film and so was marston um, oh, well, yeah. um yep, yep. you know i, I thought that uh, the animation that you guys did for the cascade of interventions was brilliant
2: Oh, good. I, I, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, remember when he, that guy was doing it. I remember when we yeah. hired a guy, you got him probably through Andrew or something. We got
3: that guy. And, and I, and the whole time we were making that film, even before we started shooting and I was just reading the books, I said, this has to be animation. This has to be animation. Like there's no other way to convey this in that sort of ridiculous counterintuitive, you know, way. And-
2: also I want to add when Michelle O'Dont talks about the monkeys not loving their babies. I mean that was pretty provocative,
0: yeah, attachment is 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 altered um when well, we you when out. you interfere with the process with every other mammal that's that's true i mean he's he's a really interesting guy, but we we could do a whole show on Michelle O'Donnell. <laughs> so uh, just a couple of things I wanted to mention about Marsden because you know he's not with us anymore but but um. He pointed out something that um, he talked about the history of the sort of the history of what we've done to to birthing. And he talked about twilight sleep, which was the way babies were born in the forties and fifties, I think. And it, it, you know, it's interesting thing that that's the, that's the euphemism they come up with for like doping mothers completely out with scopolamine or ether or whatever and it sounds so sweet, so it's, like, it's twilight sleep. It's just twilight sleep. And we'll put forceps on and pull your, pull your baby out, which is how I was born, by the way, just so you know, which maybe explain, may explains a lot. Um, but then in the thirties, they were doing x-rays. All right, and, in the, and then, and then in the fifties and sixties, they came up with thalidomide and then, and then DES. And then the nineties Cytotech with, with previous cesarean sections. And now we have, you know, we're giving Tdap, flu, and of course the COVID vaccine, pregnant women with no testing and and it's like we we never learn the 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 medical industrial complex as you described earlier never learns they're always trying to do the next thing is it the arrive trial let's induce everyone at 39 weeks because that's not going to have any consequences down the road Mm -hmm. all right let's let's have continuous fetal monitoring because that's going to lead to the end of cerebral palsy not but it's Mm going to raise your c-section rate 500 um you know, let's let's do the Friedman curve because we all know that all women dilated exactly the same rate because that that somebody thought that that was smart. I guess Dr. Friedman thought that was smart. Put his name on it, um, and all these mistakes, and yet we never learn. It's kind of like when people or friends or neighbors or government agencies keep lying to you or keep m- making the same mistake. Why? What is it about the human condition that wants to believe them the next time? Right. What, what's going on?
3: Yeah I think that and again this goes into the new film with business of birth control right because it's very hard for people to believe well how could like the pill or how could these hormones have all these side effects and you know I trust my doctor and well I was on it for 5 years and I didn't feel anything or you know people they they want to trust in the system um because it's so frightening to think like in the case of birth control, what if it's not solved? Right? Like what if, you know, we can really prove all these downstream effects, um, then what happens? Right. And so, but I, I do think that with the opiate crisis, I think they got so villainous and so greedy and so evil, and they killed so many people that I do believe some eyes are like woken up and It's interesting, you know, Stu, because when people watch the business of birth control, I've had some comments of like, wow, I never understood the anti-vaxxers until I saw your film. You know, it's like they were sort of drawing a line. And obviously our film has nothing to do with with vaccines. But it was still it was like understanding that um, there is a growing erosion of trust uh, yep. with the medical system, with the insurance system. I think that the patriarchy and racism and misogyny that is steeped in medical training, and I mean female identifying doctors as well, has is exposed and is becoming more exposed. And I think if you even look at let's say something like black maternal health, right. Which we didn't hit the hammer on in the business of being born, but we show, you know, we show a midwifery clinic in a low income area that mostly served black women going out of business, not being able to get their insurers, but you know, we, we showed it without hitting the hammer, but now look where that issue is, right. That issue is front and center. You have these guys out there, Charles Johnson, for Kira for moms, you know, they just sued Cedar Sinai in LA for her death. You have, you know, I think a lot of people waking, waking up and I don't think they'll be so quick in the future, I think, to trust, you know, taking I mean some people will will always sort of follow the flock and 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 sort of cave into fears about COVID or, you know, anything. But I but I do think there's for millennials on down, a wake up happening. And I think we're, we're seeing that with the business of birth control big time.
0: God, I hope so. I hope. Yeah, so I was just
1: going to say the exact same thing. I sure hope so.
0: I think yeah, so. Because, because you talk about the opiate crisis and yeah, it's a big deal, but I, I think if you walked onto a, a campus, of any university and you asked them about the opioid crisis, they'd probably look at you and would say, what are you talking about? Because I don't think that it's as well-known as, as people who pay attention think it is. And of course, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but now we have a border that's completely porous and we've got fentanyl and all that stuff just pouring over the border. And isn't that opioid crisis all over again? Isn't the same thing more or less, or am I wrong?
3: No, because I think it's, you know drug companies cherry picking and lying about data and giving doctors false information and it was so and that is essentially what has happened even with birth control if you look at something that should be very simple and straightforward like what is the risk of a blood clot um you will see a huge variation in studies and you know like dr litegard in um Copenhagen, you know, who's done these incredible studies with Danish women. I mean, studies that you can't do in the United States, right. Studying a million Danish women and the effect of birth control pill on let's say depression or looking at, you know, risks of blood clot, you know, they will, the drug companies will refute his studies and will use their studies that they paid for that get them the results they want, you know? So I, I think it's different just in the sense that like there's marketing and then there's like lying, you know, <laughs> then there's oh, really-
0: the the lying is pervasive and and you can't <laughs> yeah. get something published if you're outside the mainstream because the publishers all take their money from big pharma. Yeah. So, you know, El Saviour and these other companies are going to um censored data that they don't like and, and the pharmaceutical companies we know they don't publish data when it doesn't come out even if it's their own data if yeah. it doesn't come out supporting their their um that's right their position i mean look at in uh, in babies um we give we don't um but it's suggested in the medical model that every baby gets a shot of i am vitamin k when they're born and and my our listeners know we've talked about vitamin k and and why you know if if vitamin k is so important why are we born deficient and we we go through all that but there's a black box warning on the vitamin k package insert not to give an intramuscular and yet every baby gets an intramuscular and, and
1: and if it, you decline it in the hospital they'll call cps sometimes yes, on yes,
3: you yes, you know totally but that's the same thing like people will ask us oh, why does the WHO consider birth control pills a class one carcinogen, you know? And why wasn't like that fact in the movie? And it's like, I can't explain that. I cannot explain why the WHO says birth control pills are a class one carcinogen. I, and it's being prescribed to like every 13 and 14 year old girl. In the car. I can't, I don't, you know, it's the thing. It's same.
1: unexplainable.
0: So Bliss, Guess what time it is?
1: I think that we should
0: talk about Element. That's right. That's it's right. Element time.
1: I'm so smart. <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. Let's talk about Element.
1: It's a tasty electrolyte drink.
0: With all the good stuff, lots of salts, lots of electrolytes, and none of the...
1: BS, like us.
0: And we think that you should carry it around with you um, when you are out and about in the hot summer months around the world uh, birth workers should gar- carry it. Pregnant women should carry it and use it. I have been using it and I, and I've learned to like it. That's sort of replaced the diet Coke for me, on uh, in a lot of, in a lot of situations. And I feel much better for, for that for many reasons. Yeah. Uh, it's quite tasty and, uh, you get, you get used to it. It's very salty, but the flavors, the, the flavors easy. are the, yeah, it's salty AF <laughs> and the flavors are, are very good. They have grapefruit, watermelon, citrus, orange, raspberry, mango chili, lemon habanero, chocolate salt, and raw unflavored. Your favorite is mango chili. Mine is raspberry, but try them all. And if you go to drinkelement.com and use the code word birthing instincts, you'll get a free sample pack with every purchase. Thanks, Element. <laughs>
1: thanks, Stu, and thanks, Element. Hey, you know, let's just take a little break and talk about... Um, the new movie because we're we're getting into the meat of it and I love this conversation. But for you know people who possibly are not following what's happening, just introduce what is the new movie and and uh, what's going on with that and how did you guys get involved in talking about birth control?
2: Well, no, you say it, Abby. You talk. Well, <laughs> I'm I were with, you.
3: <laughs> we were working on Weed the People, I guess, and we um, were sent a book by Holly Griggs Paul called Sweetening the Pill. Mm-hmm. Is a bit of her personal experience um, of taking the birth control pill Yasmin and what happened to her mental health as a result of that pill. She wrote a book that was kind of an expose of both her personal story, but also, you know, covering more of like, why have we just accepted this widespread use of hormonal contraception um, and we're not looking at it closely enough? And I think that. Something just resonated with me and Ricky. It's very similar, you know. It's it felt like wow, like everyone's dropped the ball on this in a way. You know, it's kind of like this is something that you know you absolutely cannot talk about at a table of, you know, let's say four women sitting at a lunch table, you cannot bring up the subject of birth control without four different stories mm-hmm. that will all involve a journey, a side effect uh, that, you know, from varying de- degrees. Right. Right. And it's just not discussed. And, um, we just felt in so many ways, like this is kind of, I don't know, but for Ricky and I, it's like sort of the same thing that we did with childbirth. It's like, This is like our service. It's like to hold up a mirror and to just really look at this deeply and say, let's kind of shatter this like diplomatic immunity around the pill because it's so tied into feminism. Because I think that there's a new feminism, if I can even use that word, (laughs) that is being (laughs) here.
0: Yeah, it's safe. You're you're safe here.
1: (laughs) You can use all words here. It's okay. But
3: but, you know, I think feminism has to and is evolving. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's what we, you know, we're sort of showing in the business of being born and we're showing again, right. Is that something that maybe women have identified with progress and empowerment, like medicalized childbirth. And, you know, maybe that's been associated with, you know, not experiencing pain or taking control or scheduling your birth. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing with hormonal birth control. It's been looked at as this tool of empowerment and freedom, but what if you kind of flip the script on that for a minute and, and look at the fact that, um, you know, this is putting really, it's so scary when you think about it, it's putting like a huge, you know, a majority of the population um, on synthetic, I mean, steroids. I mean, they're steroids. Let's just be clear. And steroids are banned for men. <laughs> Testosterone is banned, right? Because of the side effects and because of what it does. But yet, it's like that's what women are taking. They're yeah. taking, you know, they're shutting down their own hormonal production and they're putting chemicals in their body. All of this just to suppress ovulation, which is a whole nother subject, right? It's like everybody's so pro period, pro period. But what about menstrual suppression? How can you be pro period when you're suppressing your menstrual cycle for 20 years and not even understanding the benefits? So, you know, it's, it's, we just felt this was like something um, we were hearing about more and more and we don't think that the current methods of birth control that have been around since the 60s are aligned with the younger generations. We don't we have seen that this is not what younger people want to be taking. They don't want to be taking endocrine disruptors. They don't want things implanted in their arm. They don't want to lose their menstrual cycle for half their reproductive life. And there has to be, you know, evolution, there has to be innovation, but it's never going to happen if people don't start talking about the fact that like these methods we have really suck for women. They suck and the side effects are
1: terrible. Yeah. It's interesting because as a midwife, you know, at the end of every period of time that I have with these families, right. At their six week visit, I always have this conversation about like, what would you like to do about family planning? And, you know, sometimes I slip up and I say, what would you like to do about birth control? And it's funny because birth control has become like, you know, Kleenex for tissue. It's like birth control automatically in people's minds is hormones. And I'm like, oh no, 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 I'm not talking about hormonal birth control. I'm talking about, you know, you could track your cycles. You could have a barrier method. You could, you know, abstain. Like I go through all of the ways that you can avoid getting pregnant or plan to get pregnant. Right. And um it's such an interesting conversation. And it always goes back to for me an opportunity to educate people on being able to do um fertility awareness method. And why the hell are we not taught this right. before we get our periods? Mm-hmm. Like why are why are we not taught this as young girls that what our cycle is doing so that we can really understand it, it just blows me away. So I'm I really, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a young girl from the seventies. My mom was a total feminist. Like I went with her to March for now. And it, it was interesting watching the film because I don't even think I really connected the dots between birth control and feminism in my, in my mind. So I loved, you know, just like, the business of being born, being able to see this historical perspective, and and because I'm I'm an, obviously as a midwife, I'm a naturalist, and you know for me everything is about like how do we respect what's happening in the body and what happens when you introduce things. So my kind of avoidance of hormonal birth control comes from a completely different perspective. Um, so I appreciated you guys weaving that in, and um, it's just it's so pervasive in in the obstetrical model, like I think it's just an automatic and it's, it is a problem in so many ways in terms of us just understanding our bodies and being empowered to know what's happening in our own system.
2: Yep. I learned what? so much during the course of making this film. I mean, just there's so many like head blowing moments. You know, the fact that it changes who you're attracted to, it affects your hormones, your pheromones. I mean, oh, is that where you were going next to? <laughs> yeah. No, it's keep, just,
0: keep talking. Yeah.
2: No, that, that is like, like that is life altering potentially. And so, you know, this, this Dr. Keith Bell, that actually isn't even in the final cut of the movie, but yeah, he talks about how he has so many of his clients, particularly his clients are looking to get pregnant. So a lot of them are going on fertility, you know, like, like on hormones to, to get their whatever cycle in sync or whatever it is it does. And he said so many people are repulsed by their partners once they're on these synthetic hormones. I mean, and there's it's scientific. You know, there's been studies done. Well, yeah. And, and yet no one knows. I certainly didn't know that I was on the pill off and on for two decades. You know, I mean, that's like that just blows my mind. You know, yes, the depression. I'd heard that for me. Hair loss was a big, major side effect that I was never told. When I went on the pill. Weight gain. I think another Weight one. Gain, I mean, all the things. Uh, you, it can shrink your clitoris, clitoris by up to 20%, 25%. Yuck. That's gross. Right? Your libido. Yes. I mean, it's just, yeah. It's, we, it's, we
0: don't, we, nobody likes shrinkage. It's not a good thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, wow.
0: I I, I just I I have to chime in here because uh, you guys will just keep talking and I'll never get a word in it. (laughs) I'm used to this is my life, so I'm used to this. But um, what Abby, what you said about young people being smarter and less wanting to take hormones or medications into their body is I've seen that it's absolutely true. I think that the generation before me was probably called where they were lovingly called the greatest generation. And I would call my generation, probably the stupidest generation. And I'm really hoping that the next generation is a lot smarter because my generation is really messing stuff up. Um, But I really, I I do think that, that, you know, when you're replacing nature's hormones and shutting down your own hormones, listen, I talk about this all the time. Whenever you mess with mother nature, there's going to be downstream consequences and it's completely ignored by Big Pharma and that in the, in the, and and then the the marketing of the thing it's saying that it's safe, you know, you hear the word safe and effective, and now now people understand that safe and effective doesn't mean what it, they think it means. Um, it's kind of like the inconceivable from uh, Princess Bride. It's like, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Um, it's not safe and effective, and it and it does cause downstream consequences. And um, when they tell you that you don't need to ovulate, you said that in the film that there's somebody that the the, the the marketing people are telling you, you don't need to ovulate. It's like, well, yeah, but you know what? There's something very natural and normal about you producing these hormones, which aren't just preparing the endometrial lining for, for getting pregnant and then shedding. There's a lot of other things they're doing to your brain and your bone and your muscle and your body and your, men- and your mental state. And when you shut that down you already, you guys are all listed. All the you know the major side effects you talked about already, but you know in Sarah Hill's book you mentioned that there's a decreased stress response, low libido, and brain fog. Um, you know, and then the thing that you said, Ricky, about altering your partner's choice through through this through your scent. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are not nothing, but oh. to the to, to big pharma, they are nothing. You know, it's, it, you know, we talk about in labor and delivery, we talk about the only thing that matters to big medicine is the baby in the bassinet and to big pharma. The only thing that matters is finding a way to, to continue their profits. So, you know, every couple of years, they'll just change one molecule on the progesterone molecule so they can repatent their thing and, and, and do it. Does it, is it a better progesterone? Well, they'll tell you it is, but we saw all saw what happened with Yaz uh, with the blood clots and the and the, and and all that, and uh, the gas came about because they had to ch- make a change in the in the progesterone so that they could repatent it. Right. So it really isn't. It's you know it it's it's crazy. And then you know they they they, they tested it on I think you said something like 132 women in Puerto Rico. If I remember correctly from the film, that that's that's that was a safety testing. And there were five deaths in that group, <laughs> which is quite high. If you think about it, for, I mean, four of them. I mean, one of them maybe, but was explained by something else. But there were still four deaths at 132. Yeah, people. there were
3: there were more deaths throughout the trials in Puerto Rico because they, you know, they had more women take it and they had more deaths. And yeah, I think that. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, I think you know. Sometimes Ricky and I, have, like with this movie, we've been accused of like, oh, you're fear mongering. You're fear mongering, right? But we are saying. <laughs> that the problem and I will absolutely say this is specific and unique to the United States of America because this movie is having a completely different experience abroad a completely different experience we are playing at the Human Rights Film Festival in Berlin in October they understand in other countries they have depoliticized these you know Reproductive health issues. It's not political for them. It's not religious. It's not about choice versus not choice. In America, for whatever reason, we cannot have a conversation to say, "Yes, you know what? If you want to go on the pill, go on the pill. If you want to go on the Nuvaring, go on the Nuvaring. If you want, you know, these are the birth control. These are the hormonal contraceptive methods that we have right now." And if you're using these methods, use these methods, but let's talk about mitigating side effects. Let's talk about identifying side effects. Let's just talk about the fact that like, if you go on one of these medications and within the first six months, you find that you don't feel well on any level, you don't feel well in your body, you feel depressed, You whatever don't get gaslit. Do not get gaslit. Understand that you have the right to then try a different method, try a different, you know, that's what's kind of crazy to me is the shutting down of the conversation because Ricky and I are not anti pill. We're not anti IUD. We're not anti birth control. first of all, we, you can't be when 35 to 50% of people on hormonal contraception are using it For non contraceptive reasons, they are using it to manage their PCOS, to manage their endometriosis, to manage it. You know, because there's no research done (laughs) and there's no root cause solutions for these issues, right? The last thing we want to do is make women feel like bad or guilty, you know, that they're taking these products because the downside for them of being off these products is worse. You know, they're suffering. If they're if they're not using them. So it's like we don't want to make them feel bad, but we want them to understand, okay, there's nutrient depletion. So you could supplement, right? Um, you might experience vaginal dryness. It's not just you. It's not that you don't want to have sex with your partner. You know, it's the your vaginal dryness is being caused by these medications. It's just informed connecting the
2: dots. It's connecting, it's connecting yes.
1: the dots for people and um you know. Yeah, and talking about alternatives. That's a yeah. uh, The mainstream medical system is that is not the only solution to these things. There are ways to regulate your cycle and deal with PCOS and all of these other things through Chinese medicine, through vaginal steaming, through, I mean, there's other methods that are not, that are working with your system and are not causing all of these issues. So it, it is about conversation and it is about options. And I so appreciate the courage and the dedication that you have in making these films to help educate the mainstream. And um, I know that you've gotten a lot of pushback and I know it hasn't been easy to to walk this path, but I can hear the passion and and the research and all of that that you have put into helping change this dialogue. And so I just really wanna, again, thank you for the work that you do in making these films and putting them out there.
0: And me being the, sort of the, um, the, the man rotten, in the room, rot, the rotten apple in the barrel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not rotten. No.
0: You. <laughs> I know. Um, there's common theme that we see in, in, in the, your two movies. Um, and that is sort of the, uh, corruption of big medicine and big pharma and of the organizations that are supposed to police them, whether it be the AMA or the FDA or ACOG or whatever else. And, you know, it's really interesting, uh, in the movie, you said that it was the women's lib movement when she showed that scene um, going on with that that Senate hearing. That I didn't realize that 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 was the movement that led to package inserts, which yeah. I thought was great. The problem, of course, with package inserts is that nobody reads them, and the yeah. print is so small. I, I remember there's one point where you have this family that lost somebody, and they're opening this big thing up, and then it's like they can't find what you, and you just tell them to keep keep going, keep looking, because you want to show how long it takes for them to find it. And, and then what the FDA finally uh, admits there's something wrong, what do they do? They say what all bureaucrats do, well, let's hold a hearing, <laughs> all right? If I have, if I hear, let's we'll, we need a hearing or we need to investigate one more thing. Investigation is like the sink, the black hole of, uh, of bureau, bureaucracies. They, they never amount to anything and they never come to anything. So as Bliss said, people need to make these individual choices and you guys have helped them wake, wake up to know that. And you've done more good than, than, you know, we on an individual basis can only do what we can do. But this has been far reaching. Um, cha- it, cha- it changed my life, um, the business of being born. I will just tell you that. It, it did. I mean, I saw that and I was already question- I was questioning. You know, I was like a, you know, a preteen and I was questioning. But then when I saw that, it was like it was like I you know I read uh, holding, I was holding Caulfield in uh, Catcher in the Rye, and I actually figured it out. So <laughs> that's that's what you guys did for me. Um, in the few minutes we have left, can you just tell us a little bit about some of the other things, like Weed the People? What's you know medicinal marijuana controversy? What's the, what is it about?
2: Oh, you've never seen it? So I've not seen People that one. Came out what in 2016. And um, you've never seen it bliss either. I haven't. Oh my gosh. So that that movie kind of came out of an experienced Christian, my my former husband who passed away, he was really passionate about the plant and for his own medical issues and for his grandfather who was dying of bone cancer. And so it was this weird combination of the timing of him researching. I mean, this is before anyone was talking about CBD. This was back in 2012, 2013. And he got a bug up his ass. At the same time, we had this sick child that I fell in love with that I moved into my house for six weeks, this little girl who didn't end up in the final film. But we go on this journey and Abby takes us on this ride with following five or six children with pediatric cancer while, you know, they're on Western medicine. They're also on cannabis oil and to see the progress. And, and, And some call it a miracle, but there's amazing, amazing results that happen and the history of you know, the plant and the smear campaign and, and all, you know, it's, it's just like we do with the business of birth control and the business of being born. It tells, you know, the story and um it's, it's, it's a different film it's on Netflix and it's, I'm super proud of it and it's kind of the legacy of Christian. So um yeah, that was, that was a, that was another six year journey. We went on with that one.
0: And what, and what about um the mama Sherpas? The, What's that one about
2: that one? Who made that film, Abby? Who, who was the filmmaker? Was that,
3: it was not.
0: It wasn't one of you guys. You guys were produced. You guys were producers on it. And it,
3: yeah, we're producers it, on that. All these films, yeah. Was, Mama Sherpas and breast milk—they're all available on our website. On the business of, um, you can go to the business of life, or businessofbeingborn.com, or businessofbirthcontrol.com. But Mama Sherpas is on there. Breast milk is on there. Um, we the Being is on Netflix right. and on there. More Business of Being Born, our sequels.
2: And we also have a masterclass series for the business of birth control. So for people that want more information, it's a nine-part series, Abby? Yeah. Yep.
3: It's a nine-part series. Um, you can join now. <laughs> you can sign up on our website to join our masterclass series. Um, we have, we'll have five episodes up on Friday and... It is, I think, a fascinating class or course. It's like a kind of deep dive into everything in the business of birth control, taking all the hundreds of hours that we interviewed all these experts and like adding all of their interviews plus, you know, studies and videos and, you know, magazine articles and podcasts and just like curating all this amazing information for you on all the different subjects. Love so it. So if you're looking, yeah, to dive deeper into, like we have an episode on teenagers and the pill. We have an episode on transitioning off. We have an episode on mental health. We have an episode, you know, so each, each series really, you know, I think if you when all nine episodes, if you go through all nine episodes, you'll basically have like a bachelor's degree in hormonal health.
0: <laughs> it's amazing can I, can I ask all three of you a simple question um okay. if you had a friend or a daughter or uh yourself and you were of reproductive age knowing what you know now would you ever go on the birth control pill no never right never. see my daughter's on it and I've been trying to get her off it and and you know and I I texted her again yesterday after I watched the film.
2: <laughs> Show her
3: the
1: movie. Show her the, Show movie. the movie.
0: Yeah, yeah know. you know, she's my, you know, it's not easy to tell your daughter what to do at, at that age.
1: <laughs> I mean... Have her call me. Um, I know Abby has to jump off. So thank you so much for being here. We are so honored. I know it took us a long time to get this together, but what a beautiful okay. conversation. I know our listeners are just gonna eat it up and I had, a, I had a brainstorm while we were on today about a project that I'm working on about traditional midwives. It just came to me and I'm going to reach out to you guys about it. Great. I don't know why it just came to me that you guys might be interested in supporting it. So thank you for being here. Thank you for the time. I love and you guys. I've, I've known you for a
2: really long time. Long. I love you both. I love the work you do. And Nathan Riley is such an amazing man. Thank you for connecting us with him.
3: Oh,
1: you're welcome. Yes, he is. Absolutely. Okay,
2: you
0: guys have a great day. Have a great day, guys. Bye, guys. See ya. Bye. All right, blister. It's just you and me.
1: Wow, that was fun.
0: Yeah, it was really great seeing them too. I've just, I have so many flashbacks to to points in my career where where they touched me. I was really serious when I said that the the business of being born did did change me, my life. It's changed. I'm sure that. Most of our listeners who watched it, probably it's changed their life. It's part of the reason why they, they pay attention to us,
1: yeah, did you see me get all choked up? that's that's what yes.
0: and then Ricky got <laughs> and then Ricky started to get choked up, too.
1: well, Ricky and I are friends. um we we have a lot of uh, overlaps in our in our history and our lives, and I've been watching her love affair and just been really inspired that she's been able to to start a new beautiful life. But Abby, I really only know kind of through, um, you know, the connection to the movies and all of that. So it was so great for me to hear her, her talk, because she's obviously very, very passionate about this and um, just was really fun for me.
0: So we will put up all the links to their sites um, uh, in our show notes. Uh, You know that you know me, I had several letters and things that I wanted to go over with you today. But This was just such, this is a good bookend uh, to just keep it just about Abby and Ricky. So we'll just, we'll just leave it there. And uh, hopefully um, we'll get a lot of good feedback on, on that. We'll have more guests coming down the line. Oh, uh, we got an upcoming podcast with our winner, our our winner.
1: Yeah. So we, we did pick a winner to our contest. Thank you for everyone who chimed in about ideas um, of what you would want to talk about. I was, so inspired um by all of the diversity and and interest and um complexity that i think maybe we'll we'll go into some of the ideas that you put up as well so stay tuned um for that episode coming up in the next couple of weeks
0: yeah it's uh our winner is uh, psycho dr julie so that should be <laughs> that should be really interesting um she, her, yeah i first of all i love her name so that's that's, that's great. <laughs> Okay, Stu. All right. Have a great day. You know, it's still early because we got we were up right so right early Steve. this morning. We wouldn't have even we wouldn't have even gotten close to starting yet on a normal day. I know they have a
1: whole day ahead of us.
0: Yeah, those East Coasters, they just mess it up for those us west coasters. <laughs> right. Liz, is great talking to you. And it was great, great talking to them. Such a great idea to have them on. I really appreciate you for arranging that. So yeah. Yeah. um okay, until next week, everybody. We'll uh Say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and? Good night. Goodbye, bye. No, good middle of the night.
1: (laughs) I'm tired. I'm going back to bed.
0: All right. Bye, Bye, everybody.